Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Knowledge Group Podcast, taking a forward look at what speakers are covering at our events. This time we're turning our attention to class action and complex litigation in 2019, taking a look at some effective strategies and best practices. Going live with the event June 25th, running between 12pm and 2pm Eastern Standard Time, we're going to be joined by a four-person panel composed of Seth Cohen, a partner at Hogan Lovells, Peter Hess, a vice president at Analysis Group, William Gadette, a partner and class action team leader at Adams and Reese LLP, and finally we'll hear from Charles Miller, a partner at Haygood Orr and Pearson. More information about the full panel and the full agenda, and how to sign up and listen to the event, is all found in the description box down below. You also find the code PODCAST25. When used at checkout, PODCAST25 gets you 25% off that very first webcast registration. Let's turn things over to our panel now. My name is Peter Hess. I'm with Analysis Group. We're a international litigation consulting and strategy firm. Uh, I'm a PhD economist. I've worked in litigation consulting for about 17 years. What I want to speak about in today's panel is the role for economists in class certification, uh, class action litigation, particularly in class certification. Um, economists can how economists can best be used to help think about um, class certification, either helping uh, to get a class certified or challenging a class. Um, there are some common questions uh, that can be asked in terms of identifying the appropriate group or subgroups um, that may or may not have been harmed, um, avenues of identifying uh, potential harm and how those um, that alleged harm can be measured. Um, there are a bunch of tools that can be used uh, for this type of inquiry, ranging from sampling, regression, surveys, conjoint analysis. These are some of the tools I'm going to talk about um, during the webinar and some of the considerations uh, in pitfalls of each approach. Hi, this is Seth Cohen. I'm a commercial litigation partner at Hogan Lovells. My practice focuses mostly on uh, class actions, RICO disputes, um, and other types of uh, commercial financial uh, class actions and investigations. Um, I will be reviewing um, several Supreme Court uh, issues, uh, decisions that came out in the first quarter of 2019. Um, arbitration was a pretty hot topic at the Supreme Court in the first few months of 2019. The court decided three notable decisions regarding the Federal Arbitration Act. Uh, the first, on January 8th, the court decided the Shine versus White Archer and White Sales case. And actually, this is notable uh, for one reason, um, also, in that it's Justice Kavanaugh's first opinion on the court, and he held that courts may not decline to enforce agreements delegating arbitrability issues to an arbitrator, even if the court concludes that the claim of arbitrability is wholly groundless. Uh, the court then decided Lamps Plus versus Valera uh, in April 2019 that built upon the court's earlier holding in the Stolt-Nielsen case that class arbitration so fundamentally changes the nature of dispute resolution that the parties must expressly agree to it, which is a, 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 an interesting development. The Supreme Court also issued a decision this past quarter in Frank versus Gauss, um, Interestingly, the court ended up not addressing the issue it had granted cert to decide, which is the propriety of Cypre-only settlements that provide no direct compensation to class members. Instead, uh, at the urging of the Solicitor General, the court vacated and remanded for the courts below to address the plaintiff's standing. 
The court also addressed another uh, case regarding equitable uh, tolling. This resolved the circuit split over whether Federal Rule of Civil Procedure 23F's 14-day deadline for seeking permission to appeal a class cert order is subject to equitable tolling. The court said it is not. Another area that I'll be addressing other than these uh, notable decisions are, are reasons why uh, we can expect more class action lawsuits and higher D&O prices in 2019, which is of interest to, to many uh, corporate and commercial clients um, and also companies. Uh, out there. Uh, just for, for this brief uh, um, preview, some of the reasons why we're seeing that. Um, boards now are facing accountability for data breaches, which is a hot topic. Um, M&A activity means more merger-related lawsuits. Allegations of sexual harassment uh, imply board-level mismanagement. And cryptocurrency is prone to corruption and therefore litigation. So those are just some high-level thoughts on what I'll be discussing during the webinar. Hi, I'm Charles Miller. I'm a lawyer in Dallas, Texas, and I've been involved the last several years in representing consumers who've opted out of class actions, um, including the Volkswagen clean diesel litigation and also the Chrysler eco-diesel litigation, among others. And I'll be talking about some issues to think about in representing uh, opt-out plaintiffs. Um, and that includes helping clients with the process of opting out. Usually the opt-out process starts when there's a class action settlement and you have to counsel your clients about whether or not they want to participate in the class action settlement or opt out. And for consumers that want to opt out, you have to guide them through the process of complying with the opt-out requirements in the long-form uh, class action notice. Uh, once that process is complete, uh, you have to make some decisions about where to uh, file your lawsuit. So for example, in the Volkswagen litigation, there is a federal MDL in San Francisco, but there's also three coordinated state proceedings. And so you have to think about, do you wanna be um, in the same courts where the class action was pending or a federal MDL, or would you rather be in state court? Um, and once you've done that, you have to think about for the forum you've selected, can you get personal jurisdiction over all the relevant defendants? That's been a particular concern given the U.S. Supreme Court's tightening of personal jurisdiction requirements. And if there's foreign defendants, you have to think about whether the forum you're suing in requires service through uh, The Hague. Uh, that was an issue in, in Volkswagen with, with uh, Volkswagen AG and Audi AG being incorporated in Germany in some of our forums we had to go through The Hague to serve them. Um, once you've gone through that process, it's important to think about, well, how do you wanna conduct discovery? Particularly if you have multi-forum litigation, um, are you going to try to do those independently or are you going to try to coordinate discovery in a way that would reduce costs, in a way that would allow witnesses not to have to appear multiple times? Uh, that's definitely something that we, we worked through in the Volkswagen uh, litigation. So, for example, uh, in that litigation, if a witness from Volkswagen was going to appear, uh, attorneys from a number of different litigations might appear and question the witness so the witness wouldn't have to appear multiple times, and in exchange, you might have an agreement so that the deposition transcript can be played 
in any of the trials. And so those are, are some among other issues that I'll be talking about in my segment, uh, and I look forward to it. My name is Billy Godet. I have been in the past local bar association's chairman of the class action complex litigation group. I am presently the team leader for the uh, Adam Jim Reese law firm's class action complex litigation team. What I will be speaking about is settlement issues and particularly the recent federal court guidelines regarding class action settlements. Uh, there's been a lot of questions about the validity of site prey awards, which many critics have suggested that it's simply a way in which to bolster the value of the settlement and obtain attorney's fees. Others have said that it's a valuable part of a class action settlement because a organization that may need the funding can get it through the class action process. The federal guidelines that not all federal courts uh, apply but are suggesting to be applied is that notice to the potential class members from the beginning of the preliminary approval stage provide notice to putative class members about a potential Cypre award, notice about how the fees will be determined, and notice about the disbursement of fees, whether it's based upon the overall value or the amount of claims that are made and payments made. Uh, secondly, I'll be talking about the recent cases on certification of classes based upon solely an issue class. Historically, some circuits have only allowed class actions to be certified if the predominance requirement is met, which means that the common issues predominate over the individual issues. Recent cases have suggested that a class action can be certified if only one issue is determined through the class action process. Thanks everyone for listening to this episode of the Knowledge Group Podcast. Don't forget, more information about our panel, the full agenda, and how to sign up is all found in the description box down below. Along with the code PODCAST25, when used at checkout, PODCAST25 gets you 25% off that very first webcast registration, and we'll see you June 25. And until then, take care. Bye for now.